Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yay. 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 Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that today you will instill strength, encourage, and I thank you, Lord, that for some it's going to be a new season. I thank you and I praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For a lot of, well, without a doubt, Psalm 23 is the most famous psalm in the whole Bible, and for a lot of people it's their favourite. To be honest, it's not mine. Uh, There's a few others I like better. I like Psalm 103 a whole lot better. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103 is a lot nicer than Psalm 23. I like Psalm 37. It talks about that, you know, the Lord gives us the desires of our heart. I like Psalm 37 a lot better than 23. I like Psalm 1 better. Psalm 1 says that whatever we do prospers. I like Psalm 1 a lot better than Psalm 23. To be honest, if we just adjusted Psalm 23, I reckon it'd be a whole lot better. I mean, if we just took out one verse... If we took out verse 4, I reckon for me, Psalm 23 would rock it right up the charts. In fact, let's try it. Let's read it without verse 4. Psalm 23 says this, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters, restores my soul, leads me a path of righteousness for his namesake. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with all my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that much nicer? Isn't that so much better? I mean, if God had just taken out verse 4, then Psalm 23 would be unbelievable. But the thing is this, verse 4 is actually in there. It's unavoidable because Psalm 23 is essentially the cycle of life. The reality is when you're serving the shepherd and when you're following the Lord, there are times when we find ourselves in the midst of a valley. Maybe you're here today and you're finding yourself in the midst of a valley. A valley is a tough time. A valley is a situation where you didn't want to be in. A valley is a situation that you didn't expect. And there are times in our life, occasions, when we find ourselves in the midst of a valley. I want to talk to you today about a few things you should keep in mind if you find yourself in one. A few things you should keep in mind if you find yourself in the midst of a valley. This is not a prophetic statement, but more of a statistical fact. The reality is that there'll be some people here that right now you are right in the midst of a valley. The reality is that every single one of us at some point in our life will find ourselves in the midst of a valley. If you find yourself in that situation, my prayer is that you will keep in mind the things I want to share with you today to help you to get out the other side. So I want to talk about four things to keep in mind when you're in the midst of a valley. The first thing is this. It says in verse 4 of Psalm 23, it says, Yay! Yay! Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Interestingly, it doesn't say this, the Lord is my shepherd, then I was disobedient, and because I was disobedient, I actually found myself in the midst of a valley because of something that I did. It doesn't actually say that. It says, I'm following the shepherd, doing everything he wants. Yay! How do I find myself in the midst of this valley? It doesn't say he did anything wrong. It was following the shepherd, 
And he ended up in the midst of a valley. The first thing we need to keep in mind is, number one, if you find yourself in a valley, it's likely that it's no one's fault. So often we want to blame ourselves or blame other people or look for blame for the reason why we end up in some situations that we don't want to be in. But the reality is you can serve the Lord, do everything he wants, be completely obedient, and even then find yourself in the midst of a valley. You know, I, when I was younger, I actually had to change my theology. Because I grew up, I, when I first became a Christian, I just thought I had life sorted. That if I just do everything God wants me to do, then everything will be perfect and everything will go okay. But the reality is life isn't like that. You know, I was, uh, when I was at Bible college, I woke up one morning and there was this phrase going around in my mind. And the phrase going around in my mind was this phrase, hot tub religion. Hot tub religion. And I remember thinking to myself, what does that mean, hot tub religion? And at the time I was working in Sydney, I was at Bible college in Sydney, I was working at a Christian bookstore called Word Bookstore. And so I went to Word Bookstore that day and at lunchtime I went out the back in the tea room and at the back there was a, a bunch of books that we had to ha- um, put up back on the shelves um, later that day. And I saw one of the books at the top was a book called Hot Tub Religion, uh, written by a theologian named J.I. Packer. And I thought to myself, I guess I better read it. And so, <laughs> and so I read the book and he basically ta- he talks about how us in Western society, we have this theology whereby the height of spirituality is when everything's going well. That the height of spirituality is like you're in a great big hot tub where there's no problems, everything's at ease and everything's at comfort and somehow if life isn't like that, that we're doing something wrong. But he basically says that is a false theology, that is not right. The reality is you can do everything right, serve the Lord, do everything he wants you to do and still find yourself in the midst of a valley. There's another book in the Bible I wish wasn't in there. It's a book called Job. And in this book called Job, it tells a story about, about a guy named Job who is the most righteous man in the history of the world, the Bible says. And so the devil, wanting to test his faithfulness, says to the Lord, he says, you know, if you allow me to, um, you know, cause him suffering, then he will turn on you and he will, you know, he will, he will curse you. And so a God allows him to be tested in order to actually expose how faithful Job really was. In the midst of his suffering, he went through a great deal of suffering. In the midst of it, he had four comforters uh, come and hang out with him and spend time with him. And they were sitting around, um, you know, just, just being with him. And then eventually they started speaking. Okay, Job, fess up. What did you do? He's like, what do you mean? What did you do? You must have done something wrong. Because God would not let you go through this tough time unless you did something wrong. He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, see there, pride. <laughs> you must have done something wrong in order to go through this tough time. And we see at the end of Job that God is actually validating Job and saying, no, no, he didn't, get, didn't do anything wrong. The reality is, as a Christian, there are times when we end up in valleys and it's not our fault. It's no one's fault. It's just a season of life. So the first thing we need to keep in mind is that it's no one's fault. Second thing uh, that we need to keep in mind is this. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, yea, though I walk to the valley. It's not my final resting place. It's not how my life is going to be for the rest of my life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Second thing we need to keep in mind is that it's not forever. It's not forever. You know, that's actually only one verse out of six. It's not the majority of his life. 
And the reality is that even though we do, do go through valleys, the reality is that they are, not, they are not forever. When we're in the midst of a valley, very often what we want to do is throw our hands up and sit down and not want to keep moving. But that's actually the worst thing that we can do. What we actually need to do is to keep on moving, keep going through. I love this old song by Ron Canoli. And he said, if you, catch hell, if you catch hell, don't hold it. And if you're going through hell, don't stop. And what that means is if we're going through a tough time, even though we do feel like we've got to throw our hands up in the air and quit and give up, that's the worst thing that we can do because we'll stay in that valley forever. Then what we need to do is just to keep on walking because eventually we're going to go out the other side. Going through a tough time is not a sign that you're out of God's will. And going through a tough time is not a sign to stop the things that God has called us to do. That we're actually supposed to keep on going through until we get out the other side. Started a Bible college a number of years ago in Brisbane and called Planet Shakers College. And, and I remember the second year of our college, uh, we had our orientation day. So what we would do is at the start of the year, we would have orientation and, and, uh, and you know, we'd go through, you know, preparations with the um, incoming students for things, you know, pre- to prepare for the, um, you know, academic year ahead. And what we would do is that I always really wanted to do a chapel service first thing. Like the first thing I wanted to do was chapel, just so that, you know, we could, um, you know, give God the glory before we do anything else. And so I said to the um, students, I said, hey guys, um, you know, welcome to chapel. Uh, welcome to college. We're going to start off with a chapel service. So why don't you stand on your feet? We're going to praise and worship God. Uh, we had a full band up there and uh, it was really loud. And they just started the first song. Bang. Soon as I heard, As soon as I did that, I heard this voice behind me say, Oh my Lord, I turned around and there was an 18-year-old girl from the Salvation Army with her fingers in her ears and she was freaking out. And I I realised that we had a lot of students from the Salvation Army that had come, but all of them had come to us with a previous Pentecostal experience. So they'd all come to us either through Planet Shakers Conference or some other Pentecostal experience. But this girl had no Pentecostal experience. She was from a very conservative Salvation Army church, and she was actually, um, and she'd only come because her friends had come. And so I looked, at, turned around, looked at her, and I thought, oh. I don't know if she's going to last very long. And, you know, we, you know, all our lectures, we're teaching, and obviously we're Pentecostal and Pentecostal culture and theology, and so we're teaching that. And, and the, the great thing about this young lady is that she had no filters. So you could see everything she was thinking as you were lecturing, and you could see she's grinding her teeth and she's screwing up her face and she's getting agitated. And, uh, and so I remember after a month or so, uh, after one of my lectures, she comes up to me visibly upset. She goes, Pastor Ben, can I talk to you? I said, no worries. And we sat down on the side of the stage. I said, and, and we sat down and I said, what's going on? And she just started crying. I said, uh, you hate it here, don't you? She goes, yes, <laughs> I hate it here. I said, everything that's happening here is pushing your buttons, isn't it? Yes, it's pushing all my buttons. I said, you want to leave, don't you? She goes, yes, I want to leave. I said, so are you going to? And she goes, no. I said, hold on, hold on. You hate it. Yes. You, it's pushing all your buttons. Yes. You want to leave. Yes, but you're not going to. She goes, no. I said, why is that? She goes, well, God called me here and I always do what God tells me to do. I said, you young lady are going to be a champion. You have just found out one of the keys to living a victorious Christian life. 
that even if you find yourself in situations that are difficult and tough and unexpected, you still hold on to the things that God has told you and you keep powering on. Later on that year, we had a spiritual retreat. She got delivered of a whole lot of stuff. She got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She started getting in a little bit of trouble at Salvation Army conferences Um, because she would get up there and start giving prophecies and words of knowledge and that sort of thing. Then she went and she pioneered a work. uh, She got married, pioneered a work at Yapoon in central Queensland as a pastor there, as an officer there. Then went and did a work at Rockhampton. Now she's back in Brisbane at my home church uh, with her husband because she realised that she is, you know, she's just can't help herself. She really is Pentecostal. And so she's coming joining God's doing great things in and through her life. Amen. Because she realized that even though she found herself in a tough spot, that is not a sign to stop and not a sign to back off and not a sign to quit. She understood that it was a valley, but it's not forever. There's somebody here you need to understand that, yes, you did what God told you to do and it didn't work out the way you wanted. That's still not a sign to quit. That actually you may have found yourself in this valley, but it's not forever. It's just a season. He's taking you through it, not to it. And if you just keep on walking, if you gather yourself up and continue to walk in faith, eventually you will find yourself at the other side. The third thing that we need to keep in mind, he says this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It looks like death, but it's not. It's just a shadow. You feel like you're going to die, but you're actually going to live. It looks like death, but it's just the shadow of death. The third thing we need to keep in mind when we're in a valley is that it's not fatal. It's not fatal. There are times in our life where it feels like that life is caving in on us. But the reality is that God can still lead us through it and take us out the other side, that it's not actually fatal. What does happen in seasons like that is actually that God is burning something off us, that parts of us do die, but he's doing that in preparation for the other things that he's got for us. If you read through Psalm 23, everything on the other side, verses 5 and 6, is much better than verses 1 to 3. But he actually had to go through a valley to eventually get there. That actually what God had for him was so much better on the other side of that valley. So many times in our life, God allows some of the things that we go through as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to prepare us for some of the other things that he actually has, that he actually has for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it says we glory in tribulation. What kind of fool glories in tribulation? (laughs) Because of what it produces. It says we glory in tribulation because tribulation produces perseverance. So that means don't stop. Perseverance, character. I wish character was a gift. I wish you could pray for character and God will just give it to you. I remember one time I was at a conference and, and I went up the front and this old wizened pastor was praying for people. I went up to him, I said, he goes, how can I pray for you, son? I said, I just want to be like Jesus. And he looked at me and he goes, are you sure? As <laughs> soon as he said that, I thought to myself, or oh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> Well, it was too late. I couldn't actually renounce Christ in front of a pastor. And so I said, yeah, and he prayed for me. And then I've had tribulation ever since. Because <laughs> tribulation <laughs> produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And then 
What that means is that some of the most hope-filled people I know, full of faith, the people have been through the hellish, most hellish times. Some people have actually been through stuff, have been able to come out the other side full of more hope than they've ever had before. And hope doesn't disappoint. Doesn't disappoint a double negative. Doesn't disappoint. So it means hope appoints. Which means that all that stuff we've been through is part of God's preparation for us for the divine appointment he's got for our life. Amen? If you look at the heroes of the faith in the Bible, they often went through a valley before they stepped into the thing that God actually had for them. That they went through some unfair things, some things that didn't make any sense. They went through them to eventually step into the thing that God actually had for their life. Some of the greatest Christian leaders of modern history have been people who have been through some of the most deepest and most difficult times. And in the end, it was almost like part of God's preparation process to give them the character necessary to handle the great thing that God was going to pour out onto their life as part of God's preparation process. Think of people like David. Think of people like Joseph. Think of modern leaders like Yongi Cho. A lot of people have been through some very difficult things before God released them into some of the greatest seasons of their, of their life. You know... Um, uh, our house, we got flooded in the Brisbane floods of uh, 2011. I told you the story um, middle of last year and, um, and basically got a double-story house by the banks of the Brisbane River. Across the road from where we live is a, is a fence and there's a 20-metre drop down to the Brisbane River. Uh, second week of January 2011, the river rose to the point where it went through a metre and a half through the second story of our house. And um, and before that, um, we had you know we had a great big yard and lots of you know um, you know trees and that sort of thing. And and I remember in our backyard um, we had this lemon tree. Now, I don't even really want to call it a lemon tree. I probably prefer to call it a lemon shrub because uh, it was a small thing. It just wouldn't grow any lemons, and I used to get so frustrated with it. I'm not much of a gardener, and um, I just I felt like I'd look at it and I'd, I'd think to myself, you know. Grow lemons or, or die, you know. Um, it felt like Jesus cursing the fig tree. And, um, and it was just the bane of my life. And, and so we had this flood come through and, it's, and it, you know, went a minute and a half through our second story. It completely wiped out our yard and, and everything like that, completely enveloped it and covered it. And, and the thing about that water, that water was gross. That water was so disgusting, like it stunk so bad. I know that when we emptied the contents of our house, I actually had, I had one set of clothes and I would wash it each night and then go back to the house. And, and honestly, I, I, we, th- we threw the clothes out in the end. You, there's no amount of washing that could get that stench out of it. Not only that, that water was quite poisonous. Uh, there were people that actually had open cuts on their legs and arms and that sort of thing that actually ended up going to hospital because it got infected uh, by that water that touched them. So that water was rotten, it was stinking, uh, and it was filthy. And that water completely went through our house and completely covered our yard and wiped out a lot of our garden. Uh, for about six months, I spent very little time in our backyard. I was more focused on our house, and the grass was growing long. I didn't want to mow it because um, I knew there'd be snakes there. So um, I... Um, <laughs> I, I, I paid an intern 20 bucks um, to go and, <laughs> uh, praise God, uh, to go and mow the lawn. And um, I remember he mowed it one time 
And I said, how, how'd you go? He goes, yeah, pretty good. I said, did you, did you see any snakes out there? He goes, that's why you sent me, wasn't it? And uh, I said, well, oh, you know. And anyway, so I spent very little time in that yard. I remember one day as our house was starting to get rebuilt, my wife and I were on the second story at the back on the deck, um, going in through the back door upstairs. And, and, and Trish said to me, she goes, Ben, look at the lemon tree. I turn around. This lemon tree had doubled in size and was pumping out the biggest, fattest lemons you've ever seen in your life. And I remember thinking to myself, how did that happen? And I thought, oh, that water, that rotten, filthy, stinking water, which destroyed everything else, for that tree was actually fertilizer. And the very thing it needed to fulfill its potential. The word of the Lord to some of you here is this. All the filth you're going through is nothing but fertilizer. To get you ready to handle the thing that God's got for your life. Amen? It's not death. It's just a shadow. You feel like you're going to die, but you're going to live. The fourth thing that we need to keep in mind is this. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow... Of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, that word valley, interpreted as valley, is a little bit misleading. Because when I think valley, I think sound of music, um, rolling green valleys, delightful, little creeks in there. That is not what that is. That word valley there is more accurately translated as ravine. Ravine. High walls, either side, no quick way of getting out, very narrow, in one way, out the other. Which is why when I said we've got to keep on going, got to keep on going because we'll get stuck there. We need to keep on going the other side. And so what happens is when you, when you go through something like that, when you're going through a tough time, it's very hard. You feel like, you feel like you're alone because you understand people don't really understand everything you're going through. I know myself, I've been through some things and I've realised no one else gets this. No one else understands. You do feel a bit lonely. There's been times I've comforted people, but we've both known, really, I don't really understand what you're going through. And so what that means is that when we go through a valley, we can feel very lonely and we can feel like there's no one with us. There's been times, you know, we can be walking through the valley and other people can be standing on the ravine and the best they can do is say, come on, keep coming out the other side. But even though we feel like alone, we're not. Because there is somebody who'll stick closer to us than a brother. There is somebody who'll never leave us or forsake us. And that's the Lord. So the fourth thing we need to keep in mind if we're going through a valley is that I'm not friendless. It feels like no one understands me. It feels like that no one gets what I'm going through. But I am not truly alone because the Lord is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. So the tension here is this. If we end up in a valley and we've been following the Lord and we end up in it, one of our temptations is to actually blame the Lord and to say, you got me in this. Now I'm going to try and get myself out. But the problem is he's the one that can actually lead us out. And so what we need to do is if we ever find ourselves in the midst of the valley against our natural instincts, We've got to learn to actually turn to the Lord. 
because he's the one who can help us in that tough time and eventually help us to navigate our way out the other side. A number of years ago, there was a, there's a church in Brisbane and um, at the time that the senior pastors were a married couple and the youth pastor was their son and the assistant pastor was their daughter. And, um, and the son had been married for less than a year. He was in his early 20s. He wakes up one morning and as he wakes up that morning, his wife, they'd been married not long, he looks at her and she's convulsing in bed. And so he's freaking out. He prays for her. They call the ambulance. They put her in the ambulance and they take her to the hospital. But she passes away before she arrives there. They can't resuscitate her. She's gone. Obviously, it's all bedlam right there at the church. And so he has to do what he's got to do. And then that night he goes back to bed. The same bed that he went to the night before with his new bride, but now she's not here. You can imagine what's going through his head. Why me? What did I do? Haven't I done everything you wanted me to do? Even though he was young, he was mature enough to understand that if I keep going down this track, it'll probably take me to a place I don't want to be mentally. And so he went to the church. He was a keyboard player. We took a mate with him. And he just went into the, up on stage at the church. No one else there, just a mate. And he just starts playing keyboard and starts worshipping God. And he says that as he starts worshipping God, the presence of God comes. And he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, just these words, I'm your comfort. I'm your comfort. So in that traumatic and tragic time, he learnt that in those times when he's starting to spin out, that he needs to turn to the Lord. That even though very few people can actually understand what he's going through, he learnt that he needed to turn to the Lord and eventually came out the other side. Today he's remarried and children and one of the more well-known pastors in our movement around the place. And, and he says that it was in that time when everything in him wanted to blame God, he turned and he hung on. One of the things I love about Job is that Job actually had the opportunity if he wanted to, to blame the Lord. He was tempted to do that, but he knew he wouldn't. And there were moments in the midst of his suffering that he actually would put out positive confessions. He would say things like, though he slay me, yet I will still trust him. Even though it doesn't make any sense, I will still trust him. Another thing he says in the midst of his suffering, he says, this I know, my Redeemer lives. I can't see him. I don't know where he is right now. But I know my Redeemer lives. There's been a few songs uh, written around that phrase, my Redeemer lives. And, and there's one, there's a, a gospel song by a lady named Nicole C. Mullen who, writes a song, who wrote a song and sings it called My Redeemer Lives, which is based on that on that verse and so I think we've got some video footage of um, a YouTube clip um, it's a little bit grainy um, of, a, of a, a father and son called Team Hoyt and, they, and, and the son was, is paralysed and the dad would take him and carry him around on Ironman triathlons and, and it is a really good picture about how sometimes when we don't feel like we can carry ourselves our father will carry us amen the payment for my sin was
Back in uh, 2008, um, I remember was, the Lord spoke to me. He said, "He said, Ben, you're good with faith, but you're not so good with hope. And um, I had a revelation then of what hope was. Hope was an attitude. Faith was an action. And I realized that I was the person who had faith. If God told me to something, I would do something, I would do it. But in between time, I'd be quite negative. So I said, Lord, um, give me hope which was the dumbest prayer I ever did because without knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And I went on a, probably about six years of things constantly going wrong. Um, before that time, it was like there was gold dust on my ministry. Everything went, went the way I wanted it to go. And then from that point on, there were so many things I just got, would regularly get a kick in the guts till eventually it culminated the Brisbane floods of 2011. I remember my great friend, uh, my senior pastor, Paul Gilling, he said to me, he goes, Ben, I don't understand what God's doing in your life. I said, neither do I. I remember in January 2012, I'm about to start a new season as an itinerant minister. Now, what had happened was over the previous few years, every time I got a disappointment, I would hang on to it. I'd stick it in my backpack and not get rid of it. And then another disappointment would come and I'd dwell on that disappointment. I'd get the other disappointment and say, why, why, why? And it kept on happening. And the reason why I would not get rid of the disappointments or let them go is because I demanded internally that God explain to me why I went through that or why that didn't happen. And so I wouldn't let it go. I remember January 2012, I'm at a conference and I'm two weeks away from starting a new season. And I'm there and once again, the questions came up. Why? Why did I go through that? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? And as clear as anything, the Holy Spirit spoke to me at that conference. He said, Ben, you don't need to know. He said, I'm not telling you. And then I had a revelation of Job. We know why Job went through what he went through. It tells us at the start. And he went through what he went through. And then after he went through that season, God gave him double everything. But he had lost children before. And then he received more children. But every parent knows, new children don't replace the ones you lost. I could imagine him every time he gathers together with his children having a great time and in the back of my mind, what about the other ones? 
And the Bible does not, and we know why Job went, what he, went through what he went through, but the Bible does not indicate at all that Job knew why, what he, why he went through what he went through. He went to his grave with unanswered questions. And the Lord said to me, he says, Ben, I'm not going to tell you. You don't need to know. I'm the Lord. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to hang on to these questions and try and get and force the Lord to explain to me? Or am I just going to bin it and walk in faith and just continue on? Well, I remember at that time, figuratively speaking, I went to that altar and I said, Lord, here it is. I don't need to know. You're the Lord. I'll keep serving you and going on. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me that there's some people here that the thing stopping you from stepping into your next season and crossing over is the fact that you're not letting go some of the questions from the past. There's some things we won't know this side of eternity. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't get it all the, all the time. But as long as, as long as we keep on walking, and there are some things that if we keep on hanging on to them, we can't continue going on with the Lord. And I felt the Holy Spirit say that there's some people here, the word of the Lord to you is this. He's not going to tell you. He's the Lord. He's the boss. He doesn't have to. But are we willing to let go some of some of these things? It's almost like a fence towards the Lord. Are we willing to let it go and move on into the glorious things that God has for our life? Amen. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.